What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, coming to you between preseason games one and two. We did bring you an episode post-game one, dissecting that game, the contributions of new players, rookies, and our thoughts on the injury bugs that have hit the Indiana Pacers. But today, we bring to you a guest, a man that hasn't been on the show in a little while, but he's making his triumphant return, a beloved figure for the three of us because of something that he did for us and with us and as a result of being on our show uh, at the start of 2020, before the pandemic. It is indeed Jeremiah Johnson, the TV host and sideline reporter for the Indiana Pacers and for Pacers Basketball on Valley Sports. Uh, JJ and the three of us had plenty to discuss. We covered last season and the fact that the team weren't as together as they needed to be. Talked about the new arena. We talked about Rick Carlisle. uh, Talked about Edmund Sumner. And overall, just a really good catch up with uh, a man that we haven't had the opportunity to talk to in a little while. So we are... Very thankful for the opportunity to talk to Jeremiah Johnson. We will be coming to you again after the next preseason game to give our thoughts on that game. But until then, here is the three of us with Jeremiah Johnson on the Pacers podcast. Welcome back to the Pacers podcast, and we are thrilled to be joined by the first man to make us legit and mention us on a Fox Sports broadcast, Jeremiah Johnson, the uh, TV host and sidelines reporter for the Indiana Pacers. JJ, firstly, thank you for making us legit, and secondly, how are you? I'm doing great. I think I actually remember recording that conversation. I don't remember which hotel I was in when we did that. For some reason, San Antonio um rings a bell maybe but uh yeah i believe we were having some steve nash comparisons with uh was it tj McConnell? Yeah. yeah yeah it was it was um and i i don't know how many times we've replayed that video to ourselves over the last uh year or so but um yeah it, it gave three guys from australia a real thrill so thank you um lot to get through that's been uh, a huge couple of years in the life of the nba overall in the world i mean everyone knows that alex is still in lockdown right now as we speak so things are still going on throughout the world but one of the things that's kind of been bubbling away while the pandemic has been going on is, is Gamebridge Fieldhouse has had a huge renovation. So we wanted to ask you as guys who haven't had the opportunity to travel, which we probably would have had this not all happened. What, what can we expect from the new arena? What's cool about it? Can you tell us some stuff about what uh, what's happened? Well, we record this on what Thursday this week on Monday, I had my first look at the second phase of the renovations, And so, just peeling back the curtain a little bit, we had our first in in building full staff meeting on that Monday, and the different departments went through some things, and then we had a chance to have a little bit of a tour of the Phase Two renovations. I had a tour, and we actually shared that on television last year with Phase One. But even to me, some of the Phase One renovations are going to be new to me because last season I rarely was actually in the field house. I stayed at the set, the pregame set not just for the pregame and halftime and postgame, but I was really locked there the entire game. And so even some of what is new inside the field house, I'll experience in a game situation for the first time 
this season. But I think uh, it may be difficult to really fully grasp on television and to be able to do it without being in the building. But if you are fortunate enough to be in the building, I think what you'll see is a new interior to the same um, classic field house feel. So they were able to keep the bones of the building the same, but a lot of the insides have changed. And right now, as I said, phase two, it's basically the lower level, the club level, they'll finish the balcony level next off season. And then they'll finish also a lot of the work that they're going to do outside the field house, which, which I'm fascinated to see uh, the concourse and outdoor skating rink will be outside. Uh, it might look a little bit like what you see in Milwaukee and you saw with all those fans outside after their games in the NBA final. So that's still to come, but uh, it'll be more of an open field. Some like maybe a baseball stadium where when you walk in, you'll immediately be able to kind of see the court from that entry pavilion instead of just through um, some of the tunnels. Um, and that's actually where the pregame set and the postgame set will be at the start of the season. Uh, if you're familiar, you guys maybe don't watch as much baseball, but a lot of the baseball teams they'll have, and even hockey, they'll have their, their pregame sets kind of in the concourse. And so we're going to have one of those because the entry pavilion is still under construction. And so where I had that, perch above the um yep. that we call it the loft that's still under construction so eventually i'll be back there but for the start and really probably the first half of the season i'll be in that concourse right when you walk in and there'll be fans all around so i think it'll be good to be close to the fans um just more um club club spaces more suites a little bit of a different um feel for those that have uh, paid a good amount of money for tickets they'll have some vip options as well so they're trying to cater to everybody, um, be able to get, you know, sponsors, certain um, access points, and, and not just that one uh, court, court side, uh, club level thing. Um, so the suites are all different. It'll just look like a better building and one that can be sustainable in the future. Yep. Awesome. And, well, obviously, JJ. <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously, you were just there for Media Day uh, the other day, and you've talked a lot about Justin Holiday being one of your favorites to interview. Um, is there any other player, though, outside of Justin that always gives you a great answer, or even if it's just a new player that, that just arrived? Um, well, I think that uh, TJ McConnell would probably be near the top of that list. His, his answers are not always super long. But, uh, you know, he always kind of answers with, with emotion, much like the way he plays on the court with emotion. And I will say, if you asked me this maybe two or three years ago, my just strictly from an interview perspective relationship with Miles Turner, it wasn't bad. But I, I felt like um, the first two or three years of his career, at times he would be guarded with what he would say. And, and maybe he viewed all media the same. And if someone was critical or a fan was critical, then he assumed anyone asking a question would be critical. I've really enjoyed my interviews with Miles Turner um, almost maybe since that 2019-2020 season. And then when it went into Zoom, all of last season, he was one of the best people to talk to via Zoom. And that continued, I think, at Media Day. And I've seen him be a lot more talkative on the court, even in this first uh, week or two of training camp, in huddles, and group sessions. It's his voice and it's Malcolm Brogdon's voice that I really hear the most. And so I think he's really grown up. And so it, it was to the point where I could tell a couple of years ago, three years ago, Miles Turner would come over and you could tell it wasn't something he wanted to do. So if he's rubbing off, if he's giving off that vibe before he even starts, it's not going to be a great interview. And I don't feel that anymore. And I, I feel like that when the interviews are, are done, 
he's in a really good mood. So I would say TJ McConnell, Miles Turner, maybe uh, two of those guys, along along with Justin Holiday, who's always great as well. It's interesting yeah, because Miles came down here um, for the Team USA games against Australia a couple of years ago, and I felt like he really wanted to take on a leadership role with the team from there. Do you think that that's why he's a little bit more forthcoming with the media? Because he he feels like he's he's the veteran, he's the leader, he's a bit more comfortable, got a long-term contract, and that can add into his comfort? A little bit. Uh, let's be honest. Everybody has their own personality, and I think he's probably a little more sensitive than, than others. And so he's the one that, you know, there have been times in his career where he said he's had to, you know, get off of Twitter or get off of social media because – if you send him a message, he's probably going to see it. And if he has a bad game, we know there are naysayers that can come out. And, you know, I mean, it can weigh on you personally. And so I think he maybe just at a better place in terms of dealing with things like that. And then the trust factor has to be there. He's basically the longest tenured pacer right now. And I've been here his entire career. So I would like to feel like when we get ready to interview him, he he knows that I'm going to treat him fairly and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, do him dirty. And I think that uh, you guys have that positive vibe as well. So he obviously gave you a good interview. And then obviously, uh, you know, I think it's just shown the leadership though um, is a big part of it as well. Yeah, that's right. JJ, man, he does the intro for our podcast. So we're, we're all big miles fans here. And um, just want to speak about, we'll touch on last season quickly. Obviously we want to skim through it because it wasn't the greatest season to be a Pacers fan, but um, Domas was, was open on media day about the team not being as together last season as they have been in the past. So, um, you know, obviously the team made changes due to that with the head coaching of Rick Carlisle uh, being made, but what have you seen around the team chemistry wise and cohesion that you, that, that you've liked uh, coming into training camp? You know, it's been fun, first of all, just to watch practice again. And if you go back to last season, when I would do these podcasts or even I would, you know, talk on the pregame show or the postgame show, I felt um, not that I was making things up, but I just didn't have that knowledge base to, to really know that what I was saying was what was really happening. And, you know, if I watch a practice, it's not like I say, you know, go to report, okay, well, this is what they did in the first drill. This is what they did in the second drill. This is who... Coach Carlisle was mad at, but by watching those practices, I have a good idea of what um, aspects of the game they think are important. And that can help, I think, make our broadcast better. And I, I appreciate the fact that this organization has allowed me to be inside of, of practice that entire time and that trust is there. Um, but I've really seen this team in that, this first week of training camp. A, they're working really hard. Uh, they're just going once a day, but that practice is – um, it's pretty structured, but it's pretty intense. And they're working on a lot of things, a lot of the defensive drills and things to really improve at that end of the floor. Maybe it didn't show up necessarily in that first preseason game against the Knicks, but it's a little bit of a work in progress still. And to your point about, you know, last year and the cohesiveness and what DeMontis Sabonis had said, I just think when Rick Carlisle talks, everyone's eyes are open and they listen. But the important thing is he, he's not the person that talks the entire practice. He has a lot of trust and faith in this coaching staff. And so there could be one drill where, where Ronald Norred is from start to finish leading the drill and Rick Carlisle will chime in when he sees fit. And then Lloyd Pierce will have the next drill. And it, and there's a lot of good cooperation there, but every time that Rick Carlisle talks, he, you can tell he speaks with uh, the depth of knowledge of being in this game for so many years. And I think he has the player's attention. When things went awry last year, 
you know, when the season started, everything was great. It was like a honeymoon. And, and then when you hit that, that rough patch, which, you know, I'm not sure whether you guys are married or I'm sure many people listening are, you'll hit those rough patches and you've got to figure out, there you go. You've got to figure out how you can work through that. There just wasn't any uh, way to work through that when they hit that rough patch. And then that's when things started to splinter. I think that they'll have that leadership with Coach Harlow and that staff. And then I think all these players, I mean, before media day, I listened to Sabonis' interview that he did, I think, with a Lithuanian reporter before the qualifying game. Because I really thought, even though he's not, you know, one of the best talkers or the best quotes on the team, when he said that this is a no-excuse year and we all know if it doesn't happen this year, we won't get another opportunity, I based some of my media day questions around that thought and that topic because I did I did like hearing that. And I thought that uh, they are all pretty much unanimous that, hey, last year was last year. It was our fault as much as anyone else's. And we've got this one chance. And if it doesn't work out now, you won't see them run it back again next year. They're given this opportunity that a lot of teams in the league don't after having uh, – it wasn't two bad years. It was really a bad playoff run and then a, a rough year. And to bring so many of those players back, I think they do feel a little bit of a sense of urgency. And they have no other choice but to put all of their trust and faith in Rick Carlisle and the staff. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you say that because Domas obviously got married in the offseason. So hopefully, you know, <laughs> that that teaches him a good lesson. Um, I recall Rick saying on your podcast how he wants to diversify the ball handlers on the team and make sure that there's togetherness and, and sharing of the ball. And, and I guess there's a little bit more distribution of the touches and distribution of the plays uh, across the team because this is a really talented starting five when it is healthy. And that is unfortunately a huge asterisk right now, but I wanted to ask you about Rick Carlisle himself. I mean, you uh, worked in TV in Indy in, in the early two um, thousands and came to the team, I think in the mid two thousands uh, officially when Rick was still there. Um, I, I want to ask what the biggest difference is between the Rick Carlisle of 2006, 2007 and the Rick Carlisle of 2021 in walking to the, t- walking into the team. Obviously he's got a ring on his finger, so that commands respect in and of itself, but What's the biggest difference you've seen in the man and in the the change in the individual over that that time? Because he's clearly grown a bunch as a coach and a person. Well, much like I said about Miles Turner and the growth maybe that I've seen from him in a in a media perspective and and being comfortable with interviews, I'll take you back to, to Rick Carlisle's time. And I started working at Fox 59 in uh, November of 2004, December of 2004. So those right after what had happened in Detroit. And so what I saw was um, kind of the effects of that. And and Rick Carlisle from that time until he left wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like great pacer moments, right? I mean, it was just, I covered the team a little bit when I worked in Terre Haute prior to that. And that first year that he came as head coach was a really good year, but I still thought that every time he would do an interview after practice or after a game, it was more of a duty or a chore and then something that he had to be prepared for ESPN coming in and asking a question about this. And it was just, he was always kind of having to deal with uh, issues. And then I remember the last press conference he had when, you know, it, it announced, I think it was almost a mutual parting of ways or basically his contract wasn't renewed. So often you don't hear from the coach. And he did this press conference and he was open and he was joking and he was telling stories. And I can remember being in that room thinking, and Dave first, I've always, I've told this story. He worked at Channel 6 as their sports director. That press conference ended and, and he, he looked at, at me and someone else and said, where, 
you know, where's this guy been the last three years? And it, it's not really Rick's fault, I don't think, because you can yeah. imagine what he was dealing with. And it did feel like at that time he had a little bit of a weight off his shoulders. And everything that he's learned in Dallas is, was not just on the court and X's and O's, but I think he's really seen the value of having those relationships with the media and having that voice and that opportunity to send your message to the fans. And so, you know, I'll admit in that era, I didn't love having that opportunity after a practice to ask Rick Carlisle a question. I was younger as well, so maybe was a little bit intimidated, but um, we did the podcast and uh, he was great at media day as well. We'll, we'll share some of those interviews um, early in the season on, on television. And even just talking with him today after practice, um, you have to ask a good question and he's not going to, every time you ask a question, he's not going to say exactly what you asked as if there's some things he wants, you know, left for the court or kept secret. He may say that, but I just think he's, it, it's a better vibe. It's a better atmosphere. And you can just tell that he comes in from day one. He has that respect from the players, but I think he also has that respect off the court as well. And, and I'm looking forward to um, cultivating that relationship this year and beyond. Hockey is back and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any hockey game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It seems to me like he's placed a massive emphasis on defense from all the interviews. You know, you kind of touched on it there, the interviews he did on media day, even when we hired him, he was talking about how last year we, we, we were not good on that end. Like simply we were, we were not very good on that end of the floor. Um, so, so have, is that been something you've seen so far during training camp? I know he's tried to bring in a couple of other things on offense, the, the ringing of the bell for the three pointers. Have you seen any of those other kind of quirky, I guess, incentives to, to do better on that end uh, at training? Well, I think uh, you guys brought up a little bit of a time ago about sharing the ball. And so to the offensive end and bringing up new things, I think it's going to be fascinating when he coaches this team and the difference of this team to the one he's had the last few years where you had, you know, Luka Doncic, who was very ball dominant, who dribbled a lot. And he did, that's not the way I, I think Coach Carlisle would prefer in a perfect world to play, but you have to cater to, your superstar, but he wants that ball moving. He doesn't want to just stand there and see one person just dribbling and not moving. He wants to get it out of the net or get it to rebound. And he wants to run and he wants guys moving around. And it's not completely different offensively, I think, from from what the Pacers tried to do last season. In fact, he even said that today after practice that some of the schemes and the things they're trying to do offensively are similar to what this team tried to do last year. There are just going to be some different wrinkles off of those and the way they maybe finish some of those plays. But the big changes will be defensively. Uh, they were caught out of position. I don't think they were playing to their strengths 
last season defensively. It showed in the numbers. It showed a lot when Miles Turner was not on the court. Um, so they've got to be better at you know, stopping penetration, perimeter defense. But they've also, I think they'll be in a better position to um, defend the paint and also to rebound. I mean, that's something that's been a, an issue for this team for a number of years. And rebounding as much as defense on both ends, offense and defense, has been really emphasized, I think, in practice and in training camp. So um, it, it's a little bit of work in progress. I, I, I was talking with Kristen Airy the other day, and it's tough because in 13 or 14 months, some of these guys are trying to play defense the third different way. I mean, this is going to be a lot different than last year's defensive philosophy, but still a little bit different as well than the way they played before, even though they were successful with Dan Burke and, and that staff leading that group for a number of years, they're not just going completely back to that style defensively, but probably more principles that are like that team than what they had last year. But these guys that have, that are now in at least their third year with the team, it's easy to kind of like get confused. Okay. Last year I was supposed to do this on a screen or this is what I was supposed to do and help. And, and now I'm trying to do something different. And that's where you're going to see, there are going to be some breakdowns. There are going to be some issues early in the season and they've just got to fight through that. Yeah, for sure. And it's been like so disappointing from a fan's point of view, having TJ Warren and Karis LeVert, you know, not going to start the season. Um, you know, I've personally been looking forward to them so much. Um, who most, who are you most looking forward to on a personal standpoint, basketball-wise, uh, watching play for the Pacers this season? I, I'm big on the rookies. So who, who are you keeping your eye on this season? It's easy to be excited about Chris Duarte. And I asked a question on Twitter on Wednesday, you know, what, what are you most looking forward to watching in this game? And it seemed like at least half, if not more, of the people who responded, they said Chris Duarte. And that's a little bit natural because you want to see the new player, the shiny new toy. You want to see you – know, you, you've seen Malcolm Brogdon in a Pacers uniform. You've seen Miles Turner. You've seen DeMontis Sabonis. Um, so not to say you take them for granted, but you do want to see – how Chris Duarte can play and what his ceiling is. He's without a doubt going to be a contributor, but with the injuries that you mentioned, I think he could have a really big role from day one. And what we saw against the Knicks, what I've seen in practice, what we saw in summer league is I don't know that there will be that much of an offensive acclimation uh, process for him. I think he's going to catch it. He's going to shoot it and he's not going to be shy and he's physical. It's that defensive end where they're, he's a good defender, but he's got to learn how to play NBA defense against those kind of players, the physicality part. That's where if he can do that, I mean, he could be more than he was against the Knicks. I mean, he could be starting in one of those spots really um, with, with LaVert and Warren out. And if, and if he's a starter, that's all you can ask for from him. And then he just has to kind of fit in with that group. So Duarte is the person probably most interested in watching. I think the person that I've been as impressed as anybody that I've been watching in training camp and some would be surprised at this is Malcolm Brockton. I think he looks in really good shape. Um, I, he's been assertive when he's healthy. And I think people kind of remember the end of the year last year when he was injured and they think back to that way, it was a bad year for Malcolm Brockton. I mean, he was putting up really good numbers approaching the all-star game. There was some debate if Patriots got an all-star, if it was Brockton or Sabonis. And then Brockton had an injury that, kind of put him out of the equation a little bit. And so, especially with LaVert out, Brogdon has to be really good. And I still think while some fans have soured on him a little bit from, from what they thought of him in his first season, 
I think that he may be the most important pacer to me to start the season. It's interesting you mentioned that uh, they've sat on uh, fans have sat on Brogdon because you mentioned earlier that they're kind of all in with this team. Do you get the sense that, I mean, there are a lot of reports going around, paces have been trending even in Australia on Twitter through some of the reports that have been around. And I know you can't comment on specific reports, but do you get the sense that they're all in with this roster and that they're comfortable with this roster the way that it is currently? I would say, yes, they are comfortable or they would not have done it, but um, there's probably a reason you hear them mentioned in, in some of these reports because I don't think anybody in that front office, while not meaning to downgrade or you know downplay anybody that they currently have, they probably would acknowledge that they're another move or two away from being top three Eastern Conference um, challenge for the Eastern Conference Finals uh, kind of team. And so if you're in a position where you can improve the roster, you're going to listen. But I do think they're comfortable with who they have, especially if everyone was healthy. Now that they have these these injuries to deal with, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough to start the season. I mean, no LeVert, no Warren. You can't have anybody else get hurt to me. I mean, no Sumner as well. So there's a, three of your nine or ten rotation guys. But even, you know, two starters, LeVert and Warren, there aren't too many teams that are going to start the season down two starters. And, and LeVert could be back close to the start of the season, but um, that makes it not so comfortable. And that makes you listen. Uh, Do I think that a guard that's disgruntled in Philadelphia is the one that they would go after? Uh, I have no idea. I'm not sure that fit wise, that would be the right fit, but all I will say is that they're going to listen. And a lot of the reports you hear or rumors you hear, they don't come from Indiana. They come from another team who wants to throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. And and how often does a pacer rumor become reality? It doesn't seem like it happens Never. very often. So I, I would that's the way I would probably approach what you're hearing this week. But but it wouldn't shock me if there's some move made at some point this season, if they're in a position if another disgruntled player becomes available, that then you have to listen, I feel like. And I think the players would understand that as well. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, you just talked a little bit there about Edmund Sumner and where we're absolutely raved about him for the last three or four years. You know, he's a fan favorite, so it would be remiss not to talk about him. Uh, it, it sucks. Like, it's the business side of basketball. You know, they had to make a move. But can you talk to us a little bit about Ed and the growth you saw from him? Because he was one of the longest tenured players, believe it or not. So what did you see from him the past few years? Yeah, my son always talks to me about how much he enjoyed that 17-18 season, and, and I'll talk about that year um, for as long as I'm talking about the Pacers because it was so special, and, and and it was of the current players, it was Edmund, who didn't have a big role, but I think was you know on the team, yeah. Miles and Domas. And so, um, you know, when the news was announced that, you know, he had been traded and obviously it was just a move for roster purposes, but... My son was like, well, now they're down to two from the, the group that I love. And, you know, you, it's kind of like when you win a championship and that group didn't win a championship, you're bonded forever. But for some reason, that team, to me, will always be uh, – well, they'll always have kind of a unique bond. And, and just Edmund individually with what he dealt with when he started his NBA career, the injuries, and then he had, you know, the, the devastating loss of his brother. He just had to deal with so much. Um and getting to talk to his dad in Detroit and, and watching his parents when he started a game 
at the palace, or actually that was Little Caesars Arena. Um, you know, that just, it was almost like the culmination of a dream, but you wanted to see him continue to make steps forward. And it reminds me a little bit of, uh, Glenn Robinson III is one of my all-time favorites. And he had a similar kind of injury in a practice that nobody saw that really derailed his career. And I hope that Edmund Sumner can work hard and get back. Um, now that that deal is official, I want fans to at least understand that I don't know this to be a fact that Edmund's, you know, okay with it, but his contract was going to be up at the end of the year and he wasn't going to play this year. So it's not like they're giving up on him for any reason other than it's not the NFL. You can't put a player on IR to get another player. They really need someone else who can contribute. And I do believe, I don't know this to be a fact, um, you know, once whatever Brooklyn does with him, you know, that's just something for salary cap purposes. I think the Pacers can continue to work with him on his rehab. And so it's not like they're just, you know, setting Edmund out on the street. We're done with you. You got hurt. But the reality is he had a contract that went through the end of this year and they need a player. I mean, you, you just have to do, you can't have that as one of your 15 when you have two or three other players that are out at the moment. So I would think he understands that. I would love to see it work out for him in the future, but it is going to be really tough for, for that injury. I think all Pacers fans want to see Ed Sumner have a meaningful NBA moment moving forward. He's had a couple with us over the last few seasons and he's got a very high approval rating among all the fans overall. So we wish him all the best as we did. Which for a really quiet guy, I remember, I remember yeah. the first time I met him, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do many interviews with Edmund. And he's still, you know, but he always had a smile on his face and he got yeah. to be one of my favorite interviews and he had some of the best style on the team as well. And so, uh, a tribute to Edmund for just the the person that he was and, and the work that he put in. Absolutely. We'll, we'll finish with this, JJ. It's been a weird two years in the world. We saw your colleague, Pat Boylan, get uh, engaged in Italy not so long ago. Very, very happy for Pat. Congratulations to Pat and his fiance, I think, Alexa. Um, and I wanted to ask, where are you looking forward to going to internationally, maybe after this season? Have you got any holidays on the horizon maybe keen for about a i don't know about a 20-hour flight to australia i don't know throwing it out there i would be definitely down for that my wife made one trip to australia her dad had a uh, a business trip there and for whatever reason uh my wife's mom couldn't go and he had an extra companion seat and she was in college so it was like well, sure, why not? She was his assistant for the trip, and she's always uh, spoke glowingly about that trip and wanting to go back to Australia. I don't remember exactly the, the different stops that she made, but I would love to do that. Um, Pat is a big world traveler, though, so I hate to say it, especially that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, engaged. He'll soon be in the honeymoon stage. Um, you probably have a better chance of seeing Pat in Australia than you do me. It doesn't seem like my schedule with my boys, um, you know, I have time in the summer. I'm not going to say that I'm like super busy in June and July and August, but I don't know that I have the ability to be gone for, you know, 10 to, to 14 days. But if it can work out, I would love to do it. And just in general, um, we are going to start the year not traveling to the games. We'll be broadcasting from Indianapolis, but I think that's going to be reevaluated over the course of the season. And I, I think we're confident eventually at some point we can get back to doing things the exact same way, or at least from a broadcaster's perspective, the way that we did. And, and that's what I guess I'm most looking forward to is 
um, not just traveling the NBA circuit, but being able to do that with this staff and, and these players and, again, be able to tell their stories with a little bit more firsthand knowledge than, than just via Zoom interviews. Well, we look forward to you telling your stories this season. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We look forward to bring your boys down to Australia. We'll take you to a footy game. You know, we can have a beer and uh, and enjoy ourselves. But uh, Jeremiah Johnson, thanks so much for being on the Pace Roos. Crocodiles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Kangaroos. <laughs> yep. Koalas, everything. Fosters. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll introduce you to a slightly better beer than Foster's. <laughs> I figured you would say that, yeah. yeah. You're probably yeah. tired of all these, these cliche things that, oh. that the rest of us Americans identify with. I thought with. we were going to be three crocodile hunters doing this podcast. <laughs> JJ, thanks so much for being on the Pace Roos. All right. Keep it up. Good work, guys.